Well, today um, marks the second Sunday in Advent. Um, And during the Advent season, uh, we're preparing ourselves for celebrating uh, the birth of our Lord by giving some thought to uh, a few of the many names that we find throughout the Scriptures, Old Testament and New. And it's a useful exercise because in studying Jesus' names, we learn about his character, what he is and what he's done and what he's doing. Um, last Lord's Day evening, it was the name by which we know him best, Jesus. And we look back into the Old Testament to one of, of our Lord's illustrious forebears, the man Joshua, whose name may be translated Jesus, um, who helps us to understand that Jesus is both the righteous judge and also the merciful, loving Savior. Now, this evening, we take our cue from a familiar passage found in the prophecy of Isaiah, which we often hear quoted at this time of year, for unto us a child is born, unto us uh, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That last name, that's a nice one, isn't it? Prince of Peace. It sounds good. It sounds pretty powerful. Um, Prince of Peace. But what's in a name? Uh, You know, uh, in Great Britain, there's this fellow they call the Prince of Wales, who has been patiently waiting to ascend to the throne of the next king. His job, so far as I can uh, believe it or understand, is to behave himself, to look phonogenic, to make appearances at certain state functions and charity affairs and put his name on a document from time to time. I mean no disrespect, but um, great power and real influence is not something he possesses, Prince notwithstanding. So, what about this Prince of Peace? Well, that is an altogether different matter. He really is a prince, and he's perfectly powerful, and he really does does bring peace. I can prove it to you. Let's look at this prince in action. Turn in your Bibles to the fifth chapter of the um, Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter, chapter 5. And we'll read the first uh, 20 verses. Mark 5, beginning the first verse. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart. And he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, 
Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now, a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. <clears throat> and they begged, they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it to the city and to the country. And people came to see what uh, it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged that him that he might be with him. But he did not permit it and said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Amen. Well, it shouldn't escape our notice that God has deliberately described this particular incident to be recorded and with unusual amounts of detail, both here and in the parallel account in the Gospel of Luke. And I believe he did this so that we might, first of all, be duly impressed with the pathetic condition of this man. Look at the wretch. I mean, he's a madman. He can't be bound, even with chains, which he breaks with ease. He's been driven away from the towns. He's living in the tombs, wild, unkept, without clothing, crying out with shrieks and moans and seeking from time to time to destroy himself, bringing an end to his earthly torment by cutting himself with, with sharp rocks. Uh, what a miserable picture, a wretched man, brutally treated by men and evil spirits alike. He's possessed by demons in such number and degree that when asked his name, he identifies himself by the name Legion because he has within him a legion of demons, hundreds of demons. Now, this is a great part of the explanation of his misery. And as such, we should regard him as a man completely out of control. Um, in extreme cases, largely in the control, in this extreme case, largely in the control of, of another. Now, last week, if you were watching the news, you read that Boko Haram, terrorists on motorcycles, drove into a remote village in northeast Nigeria and slaughtered a hundred villagers, fishermen, um, farmers, uh, beheading some, hacking others to death, kidnapping men and women. Men just filled with hatred and violence, uh, completely 
out of control. But on the other hand, I recall some years ago uh, needing some frosted glass. Uh, they couldn't be had at the hardware store and so um, to repair a broken window. And so I, I was obliged to patronize a glass business on Route 130 in Brooklawn that was situated in the same building as a pornography shop. Uh, the office of the glass shop was situated right off the parking um, lot that was unhappily shared by both businesses. It was an elevated room, and you could walk. You had to walk up several steps to get to the door, and it had these full, full-length plate glass windows on two sides, so that when you were standing there waiting for your glass to be prepared, which was done in another part of the building, you were almost obliged to watch the busy traffic in front of you, men in business suits and others in work clothes alike, driving into the lot and walking into the pornography shop. It was lunch hour and the trade was brisk. Um, the parking lot was filled. I suppose today uh, many of these people would be found on their computers with hundreds, really probably thousands of perverted internet sites. But, but who were these people? They were men consumed by lust. They were out of control. As a matter of fact, uh, in this world we live in, where it's filled with people, men and women, who are possessed. Uh, it may relate to the use of tongue or, or money or their time or their relationship with other people. Some are possessed by drugs or alcohol. Some are possessed by a wicked, destructive temper. Others by an inability to control their various appetites. Um, some are possessed in ways that are less destructive or less socially or morally provocative than others, um, but they're nonetheless uh, possessed with aspects of their life apparently out of control. And, and what is it that possesses them? Well, it's their sin. They're slaves to their sin. Jesus tells us that the unconverted sinner is enslaved by his sin. But um, it needs to be said that the condition, the enslavement, is a little more complicated and darker than you might first suppose. The unsaved sinner has more in common with this man here in Mark 5 than you might first recognize. They are ultimately possessed by the devil. And not in the same degree as the man in our text, most of them, but it's really only a matter of of degrees. Incidentally, if you're ever wondering why you see these outrageous examples of demon possession in the, um, in the, the New Testament, I believe one of the reasons is because uh, the devil knew very well that his end was coming and he was getting desperate. And so we see these, these really ridiculous, uh, just like, whoa. Although there are places in the world where I myself have seen uh, some pretty uh, egregious examples of possession, but there's much more moderate ways, if you will. Um, a matter of degrees of one man looks lustfully at another woman or, or another man. Another watches uh, X-rated videos. A third descends into hateful terrorism in the name of some wicked religion. The difference is really not so large as we might believe. It's a matter of degrees. Because, you see, there are two princes in my sermon this evening. There are two princes on the earth. The prince to whom this wretched demoniac belongs and, and, uh, and then to one degree or another 
uh, over the lives of those who are not under the special protection of God, that is, Christians and their covenant children who are living under the protection and the authority of Christ. Um, He is sometimes, uh, the devil is sometimes called the prince of this world because God in this age has given him leave uh, to rule over those who do not actually belong uh, to the Lord. Now, I know this may sound very dramatic and maybe a little overstated, but it is the unvarnished truth of Scripture. It is reality around us. There is good and evil. There are wicked forces. If you don't believe that, you're you're deceived. Um, Remember how Jesus uh, spoke to the Jews who were denying his divinity. These were religious people, by the way. Uh, Jesus said to them, why is my language not clear to you? He's talking to them and they're not getting it. And, uh, and he gives the answer. He says, because you're unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. He who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. The Apostle John puts it this way in John 5.19. He says, we know that the world is under control of the evil one. The man who descends into murderous terrorism is a servant of the devil. But, but no less so are those walking into the porno shop or the man who angrily strikes his wife or children or the young woman who carries on an illicit relationship with a man, not her husband. I don't mean to say that they're not responsible, that the devil made them do it. They certainly are. From the the greatest uh, sinner to the least, we're all called to take responsibility for our actions. God excuses no one. But the enemy is much at work among those who have not thrown him off by the grace of God. Can't you see um, the upshot of all this? Where does sin bring a man? Well, it, it degrades him. It dehumanizes him and eventually it destroys him. It hardens his conscience, enabling him to progress from bad uh, to worse. We can only guess how the demoniac in our text uh, might have progressed in his sin uh, as we finally have it described in our text in its last terrible form. Sin ruins in marriages. It spoils relationships with families, duties, and impacts our work. It draws us step by step deeper into sin and ever farther away from God. And ultimately, it assures the destruction of our soul and condemns us to death and judgment. And the devil loves it. He's right there, right next to the sinner. He works hand in hand with men and women in this fallen world. So here's the point of all this. What I'm showing you uh, this evening and what I believe God wants to teach us from this passage of Scripture is about the dominion of sin and the supporting role uh, of the prince of unsaved sinners who is the devil with his demons. So uh, it's a message about the dominion of sin and the supporting role of the prince who has control to one degree or another over all those who don't belong to the prince, the real prince, the far greater prince, the capital P prince, the prince of peace. 
Let's talk about him. It's a pleasure to change the subject. Well, the appearance of Jesus is, notice, immediately evident to the demons. Um, they, They see him right away. The jigs up. And the man comes and falls before the feet of the Lord, trembling in fear. Uh, they suppose, all of these many demons, that the appearance of Christ means the end has come for them. He's going to, it gets complicated, perhaps, um, and leaving into different regions and so forth. They don't want to leave the area. But, but um, the day of judgment is, um, they're, they're very concerned that that's come. Uh, in fact, um, that day has not come. Uh, we're waiting for that day, but closer now than ever. But, but look at the man. Look at this. Look at how he's described now. When Jesus arrived, he's a new creation. You see, he, he's described as dressed, and he's in his right mind, and he's sitting. This text, uh, Luke Texas uh, describes him as actually sitting quietly at the feet of Jesus. What a, what a lovely place to be is that sitting quietly at the feet of Jesus. What in the world has happened to this man? Um, Well, he's met the Lord of creation, God over all. He's met the Prince of Peace. That's what's happened. Before whom the Prince of this world grovels and pleads and and is ignominiously cast into into pigs. Um, One day, he will be cast with all of his angels into the fire of hell. That will be a wonderful roast. But can you see uh, why uh, the prophet calls him the Prince of Peace, can't you? I mean, he's Lord over all. He brings order out of disorder and destructive chaos. How much more destructive can you want? Here's this wretched man. In one minute, he's screeching and crying and calling out and cutting himself with rocks and breaking chains and off into the wilderness and in the graveyards in the next... He's sitting peacefully, clothed in his right mind at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, The former demoniac is now in control of himself. Or more accurately, he's a man in control, under the control of the loving Lord, the Prince of Peace. He's no longer possessed by sin. He's a man redeemed from the power of sin. He's dressed. He's in his right mind. that describes, really, the Christian perfectly. One who's been delivered from the devil and from his service and under and from his control. A Christian is one who's under the control of God the Holy Spirit, indwelt. He's a, a person in their right mind, sitting at Jesus' feet. See how different the real prince is. He doesn't hate his subjects. He loves them. He doesn't destroy his enemies, lop off their heads. He saves them. He he changes them uh, from enemies into adoring people. He proves his love for us and proved it by dying on the cross in our place. Now, that's a prince. Here's the sort of prince that that can really do something for us. Remember, uh, if you don't belong to the Lord Jesus... You're under the wretched authority of the devil, the other prince. To one degree or another, you're possessed by him and your sin will be your destruction. You may have the best of intentions. You may have a strong will and can do certain things, but mostly you'll fail because you have nothing more than the the power of your own corrupted self-will. 
The little angel, a little engine that could, you know. I think I can, I think I can. Yeah. How does that work for you? It doesn't work very well at all, you see. Um, we don't have the ability to, to help ourselves. The prince of this world is very clever and much stronger than us. But there is this other prince, the great prince with whom the enemy must submit, the prince of peace. Um, so called because he can bring peace into our busy, disordered, unhappy lives by delivering us from the bondage of sin. Oh, yes, you'll still find that power of sin within you. The old man uh, uh, will be there, but, but no longer supreme. No longer must you answer to it. Uh, greater is Christ and the power of his spirit than the power of sin and the devil. As a Christian, you will be an overcomer. There will be battles, but Christ in the end will always win. There will be times when you stumble, but you will always come back to Jesus. And that in short order, hopefully. There will be times when sin seems so strong, but you will always cave in to your prince before long because you belong to him. The demoniac never had a chance until he was rescued by Christ. And then it was a completely different story. Who's your prince? Is he the destroyer or the prince of peace? Are you a slave of sin or are you an overcomer? The promise of the gospel, the applied promise of this passage, is that if you will cry out to Christ, you may be saved. You will surely be saved. If you've never committed your life to the prince, well, you need to do that. Tell him you're a man possessed. You need his power. You need to be dressed with the robes of his righteousness and be in a right mind and under his control at last. What a blessing. What a prince. So the account of the, uh, the Gerasene demoniac is a dramatic text. Um, we've seen the man possessed and we've seen the man at peace. Um, before we conclude, though, we want to look quickly at the man at large. Uh, the last point, the man at large. And we need to recognize that there's a, a certain irony in this, in this piece. Because um, you'll notice that in the text there is some division. That this great miracle, this great work of grace, actually brings division. Jesus once said, did not think that I came to bring peace, uh, but, um, but division. Uh, no, uh, I tell you, division. Uh, now, that's not to gainsay what he's, uh, that he's the Prince of Peace. It's rather simply to, to recognize the reality of the fact that some will be attracted to Christ and some will be repelled. And we see that over and over in the Gospels. When Christ is speaking, you can almost draw concentric circles where some people are getting closer and they want to see him. They're pushing away. Let me get closer. I want to see here more. And some people are kind of, eh, eh, you know, forget it, walking away. It always has this, you know, effect of either drawing people, the gospel even draws people closer. And even as Christians, it should always draw us closer to him. If I find ourselves sort of drifting away, we should, we should um, as Luther said, quickly go grab our prayer book and fall before the Lord and start praying. <laughs> um, but this is a fact, and certainly we... Uh, we, we see it um, in the text. Uh, you notice the, the um, 
the people, the crowd. Uh, they they arrive when they learn the story about what happened, and and when they get there, what do they find? Well, they they find uh, this man sitting at Jesus' feet. Uh, but the local townspeople are really much more concerned about their pigs. Um, and they superstitiously send away the Savior. Uh, they plead with Jesus, actually, verse 17, to leave the region. What's that about? Um, uh, but that's the way it is, isn't it? Today, too. Um, either you're drawing closer or you're moving apart. Are you sitting at the cross at his feet? Or you're wandering away in paths of disobedience where the enemy lurks to draw you off into his realm and into his influence. But finally, see what happens at the end of the story because it has a very instructive and interesting end. Um, Jesus is preparing to return uh, to his boat and leave the area. Uh, but his new disciple, the delivered one, begs to go along with them. He does not want to be left with these pagan neighbors of his who have sent Jesus away. That doesn't seem like the sort of folk he wants to hang out with any longer. And uh, perhaps he's concerned that um, the demons will return to torment him. But, but Jesus gives him a kingdom appointment in verse 19. Jesus did not permit him, but said, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. There's nothing unusual about this. This is the way it is for everyone who belongs to the Prince of Peace. We, we may very well prefer to quietly remain in safe and easy places, but the Prince of Peace desires us to serve as his royal ambassadors, one way or another. The Apostle Paul says it this way. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave to us the ministry of reconciliation, uh, that God was reconciling the word to himself, world to himself and Christ, not counting men's trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's our work. That's our work. If we, if we are in Christ, whatever else we may do, to somehow be ambassador for the Lord Jesus. Uh, verse 20, the last of our text. And he went away, that is the former demoniac, and, and began to proclaim in the Decapolis, that is the ten cities of the region, how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Brothers and sisters, let the world be amazed at God's grace in your life. Let them see his power and his blessing. Let, let them see the peace that you have now, even in the midst of turmoil, in the midst where everybody's running around with chickens like their heads cut off. Let them see something of God's grace. Let them see those things which you could never accomplish in your own ability or strength. Changed lives, changed habits, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The fruit of a man set free. The fruit of a woman possessed by the Prince of Peace. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, thank you for this stark picture. Give us, Lord, this that occurred in time and history and you caused to be set down, preserved for the ages, so that we might read about this encounter between you and this miserable person who is the very epitome of peacelessness. And Lord, how you dramatically changed him. And Lord, you're still in the business of changing us. For some, it's been small changes. But Lord, for all, it's been a great change, an important change, a life-changing change. And we pray that we might always rejoice in that and rejoice in the Prince. He is our Prince of Peace. And we rejoice in his name and in his grace. And may we be ambassadors to, um, to share that peace with others, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>